Hi, welcome to the Xbox World Strongcast. Uh, we hope you're well, and uh, we hope you're having a great week. Uh, it's a weekend tomorrow, so uh, what better time to uh, celebrate the Saturday and Sunday of days than with a uh, with a podcast? Wait, uh, are you saying that this podcast is going out on a Friday? I am saying that. A Friday, Friday, Friday. A Friday feeling, yeah. Friday that's fun, 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 fun. That's right, yeah. Very much like, um, what was her name? Is it? Uh, I oh, sorry. Know. Actually, before we go on, <laughs> we should just point out that it's just me and Matt today. Hello, cause, hi. Because uh, me being Tim and Matt being uh, Matt, Matt uh, because uh, Mike is is in Canada at the moment, seeing something, and um, and uh, well, we we I guess it would be fair to say, uh, Matt, that we'd never really heard the end of it, did we? Because he's got some fairly brutal <laughs> brutal flights to. Uh, yeah, Mike. Uh... Mike wasn't too happy when he, his itinerary came in and it was basically flight, flight, roll in at a very early hour in the morning, get up a little later in the morning, see a game. I think it maybe gets to go to bed for a few hours, get up, flight, 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 back. Yeah. back. <laughs> Still, you know, that's that's the journalist lot, isn't it? Yeah. We, we've all been there. We've all been there. So, um, so yeah, Friday is um, at today friday fun 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 and uh at lunchtime today matt matt <laughs> uh passed me on a a link to a to a youtube video for a for a uh a music video called friday friday by is it rebecca black is rebecca that black um oh lord <laughs> <laughs> who is apparently an internet sensation yeah i think she's uh so i think she's a 13 year old girl who i don't I, I understand that there's this record company, perhaps, that seems to be getting lots of young girls and trying to turn them into the next Miley Cyrus or something. I don't know the full story. That seems to be what's happening. Um, oh, dear. I mean, that just if you haven't watched it yet, you've got you, to you watch must it. Seek it's, it out. It's, it's an auto-tune catastrophe. It's fantastic. With the, with the greatest lyrics you've ever heard. Yeah, and, and that's not... I mean, I don't know. I mean... Uh, her lyrics are, are they're definitely some of the worst I've heard, but <laughs> but I mean when I say hers, I mean the person who people I who think wrote two them. people wrote yeah. it. Yeah. Um <laughs> one person isn't talented enough to, <laughs> right. to do that. But I think possibly the worst the worst lyrics in a serious song, you know, I've ever heard is the old uh, Life by um is Desiree. It Jack- oh Desiree. A Man, piece of toast. Life. Yeah. And the ghost. The ghost, yeah. I'm uh, But I think this is a serious song. Like, I think this is even worse than the, the toast and the ghost story because she gets up, she's got to have her cereal. Like, I know, I, I get that. We all need to have our cereal. That's fair enough. I had toast this morning, but, you know, whatever floats your boat. And then she's got to go wait for, wait at the bus stop I think it's a school my... bus. But then her friends pull up in the car, so I don't know why she was waiting for the bus. Maybe that's a school bus. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe they just go to a really elite school. But the thing is, her friends pull up in the car, and then like her big dilemma for the day is, does she sit in the, sit in the front seat or the back seat? Yeah. And like it's such a dilemma that she has to keep going back to it. Yeah, no, it's you know, it's a thir- I imagine if you're a 13 year old girl, that is quite a quite big a dilemma. Issue, the thing I liked about it most, though, I think, was that was the the kind of uh, approach to lyric writing that went on in that song, which was very much of the let me describe exactly what I'm doing um, <laughs> oh, in real time. So it was like, hello, I've just woken up. Now I'm getting dressed. 
Now I'm going to brush my teeth. Now I'm going downstairs to breakfast. Here I am downstairs. I'm having breakfast. Oh, I finished breakfast. I'm going to pop my bowl in the sink. Oh, I washed up my bowl. Right, now I'm putting on my coat. Now I'm going outside. I mean, honestly, <laughs> for me, my favourite bit is uh, is when she she must uh, end up in the back seat. Like, even though she's still singing about like what seat shall I sit in, she clearly ends up in the back seat. And she's sat. Uh, it looks a bit dangerous, actually. I would say this is a uh, you know health and safety. If they saw this video, they wouldn't be impressed. She's sat like on top of the seat with two of her friends. <laughs> she's got a convertible, Matt. That's what that's what and, the cool uh, kids do. And uh, they're all like driving i guess you could say is as it's driving along but her friends look a bit embarrassed to be filmed to be honest they look a bit uncomfortable wouldn't you be one last thing on this um it's it's definitely worth watching just because about three quarters of the way through there's an inexplicable rapping section which is um, a guy driving past yeah, the school bus that's right i mean he's i who is he? I don't know. He's not but, a relation. But you shouldn't really... I mean, any guy shouldn't be just drop, dropping past a <laughs> bunch of 13-year-old girls going, yo, get the deep dip dip but You know, it's just it's all a little bit wrong. Anyway, <laughs> we'll leave that for you guys out there to go out and check this video out. It's our little treat for Friday you. by Rebecca Black. Celebrate the fact that tomorrow is the weekend with this great, great oh, yeah, song. I, one, before we leave it, actually, I'm really glad that um, in the song she explains that yesterday was Thursday. Yeah. And tomorrow is Saturday. <laughs> it's a good job. And the day after tomorrow is Sunday. Sunday yeah. So it's educational too, it's as excellent. well as being fun. Yeah, it's important to know what, that. What would you do, Tim, if you went back home tonight and Erin was, uh, was playing Friday full volume in your house? <laughs> I'd probably just join in, Matt. I mean, it's such <laughs> yeah. a joyous song, isn't it? It gets you going, gets you excited about the weekend. And um, Why don't you go and show it to her, in actual fact? I think she might be a bit young for that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. She's um, she's more into your, like, she likes a bit of Michael Jackson. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. She uh, loves a bit of Smooth Criminal. Okay. Yeah, always requests it in the car. How about that? Brilliant. Pretty good, eh? So, uh, I suppose we should chat about games, really. Um <laughs> And where better place to start, Matt, than uh, than the news? There's there's been a little bit of sneaky hitman news. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> literally before we came out to record this podcast, there was a story up on our sister site CVG that uh, a catalogue uh, is it is there a Sundance Festival going on or something right now? Yeah. Okay. So there's a catalogue there, and there's a mysterious advert uh, in that catalogue for a, a hitman series. Um, thing i don't know it's like a, a box of donuts and there's a barcode on it that ends in 47 and the 47 is red to draw attention to it and then it's like hitman series dot are you or something website which see that that bit seems a little bit too obvious just drawing attention now, to that it's hitman but. sundance is a film festival yeah and we know that there's a second hitman there's a second film. hitman film so it could easily be that yeah. rather than the game but Aren't they supposed I'm, to be tied together? We're anyway? pretty sure the the game's coming this year. We'd be willing to. Um, well, I don't know what you'd be willing to do, but I, I'd be willing to bet some money on it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I, I would I'm not saying that it'll definitely come before Christmas, but it'll definitely be announced this year. And I wouldn't be at all surprised yeah. if it was announced at E3. That sounds like the most likely. I mean, if it's out this year, I don't know when it's going to come out. Because we all it's know a ve- I mean, if they announce it E3, it's a very short <laughs> yeah. short campaign for it. I think uh, out it'll be announced at this 
year's E3, which is cool because I'm I'm going there for Xbox World this year, uh, and probably out. I could see them doing it early-ish next year. Yeah, like maybe springtime, April time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That would make sense. Either make way, sense. Um, I really wish they'd get on with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's been uh, really. I mean, I know Mike likes Kane and Lynch and has, has sort of built a good case for it, but I mean, Kane and Lynch is. It's not what we want. It's not what we want. And we certainly don't want. What was that other thing they did? Mini ninjas. Mini ninjas. We don't want the mini ninjas either. Or ninjas. Ninjas. As, as we, uh, we often called it. Um. So Matt, you uh, just moving on from there. You you've been we were chatting a little bit off air about what you've been playing at the moment, and you, yep. you, you doing your usual thing of going back and uh, and finishing some older games. Yeah. So uh, I tend to um, play a game for a while, and then probably a week later, something else will come out that's newer, and I'll sort of lose interest in what I was playing and sample this this new flavor of the month, I guess you could say. Um, but if it's a game that I really want to finish, I'll I'll probably leave it a good six to eight months then return to it so this week um i returned to two things actually blue dragon because i do like my jrpgs and i always like to have a jrpg on the go so i've returned to that and i've returned to um halo reach as well now i didn't actually have a chance to play halo reach otherwise because i didn't get a copy um and uh, I, I was reluctant to go out and buy a copy because I was really poor at the time. So uh, so I held off and I've borrowed it from a friend, actually. I've lent uh, our good freelancer, Alex Dale. I finished Bulletstorm two weeks ago. I've lent him Bulletstorm and in return he's lent me Halo Reach. Uh, so I finally finished it and I finished it on Legendary on my own, which means I get the achievement for finishing it solo on Legendary, which I'm really chuffed about because the last time um, Halo game came out, ODST, I wrote an achievement column basically saying that Bungie needs to put an achievement in just for that because I finished it on Legendary and so did some of my other friends, but my friends finished it as a four on Legendary, which I think is cheating, personally. And they got the same achievement I did and I was really upset about that. So I'm really glad Bungie, I don't know, maybe they read my column and thought that guy's onto something. I would have thought they did, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I mean, we're everyone loves us. Like, all the devs read what we have to That's write. That's right. And, uh, Bungie, are always, Bungie are always going on about how much they respect us. They keep calling us up for ideas, actually. Oh, it's getting on my nerves. They, <laughs> like, what level do we do next in Halo 4, Tim? I mean, we've we've got this, this, this. We appreciate that you've mapped out the six levels first, but what should we do for seven? Yeah, I mean, I keep, I keep saying to them, you know, I think you should you should do this and do that. And they keep yeah. saying, what about the, the space zebras? And I say, you can't. <laughs> You can't have space servers no, in it. I mean, no. you can't do that in Halo. I just think it's a step too far. It's just betraying, I betraying mean, the nature of the game. The the, uh, the brutes were fine, and the, the weird flying aliens they they were passable as well. But the zebras and yeah, the, ze- the zebras <laughs> just going too far. And I mean, fans. one of the other things they kept going on was having old MC ri- riding in on the back of a unicorn to start with. And I See, just no, like, I didn't actually think that was too bad an idea. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's just taking it with his Stetson. And, yeah. Oh well. Anyway. Anyway, so I I finally finished Reach, uh, and any good? Yeah, but no, but yeah. So obviously, I didn't really play the multiplayer. Long term listeners will know I'm not really too much of a multiplayer guy. Something that's changed that actually this last month is Homefront, which I really dig on multiplayer. It's good multiplayer game. Very very good. It's not quite as uh, accomplished as Battlefield Bad Company 2's multiplayer, which Xbox World regards as the best multiplayer out there. Well, best multiplayer shooter. I should uh, I should clarify, but uh, it's it's close. It genuinely is. Even without the destruction elements, I think it's pretty close. So I didn't I didn't bother with Reach's multiplayer. It was just single player for me. 
and uh, no developers make firefights like like Bungie do with Halo. The actual combat in Halo, um, in in those sandbox environments, are just unbeatable. Are they wonderful, Matt? <laughs> oh, they're wonderful, wonderful, Tim. Two, Two times wonderful. wonderful. That Two is times good. wonderful. Excellent. <clears throat> You'll notice that this podcast, I didn't say wonderful until I was prompted. Oh, that's How good. good's that? that? We've is... just actually recorded an insider cast before this as well, in which I did a few minutes in, but I was just holding the it wonderful, back. The W word. So, uh, no one does firefights like Halo. I mean, the Halo combat is so far above everything else. I think I, I know that it's different from a Call of Duty, um, and Call of Duty wouldn't really work with jetpacks or whatever. Although, from what we're hearing, you know, if they're going to do a Space Marine version with sledgehammer, who knows what what we're going to see in two years' time? But Halo just drops you in a giant environment and just says to you, "Do what you want." Here's a bunch of enemies. They're really smart. They're going to behave very well. Although I'll come to that in a minute because I don't think it's perhaps quite as well as, as it was originally claimed. Um, yeah, and just take one as you want. If you uh, want to go over to that, you know, that building over there and get right to the top, you can do it. You can you can approach this level however you choose, and we'll give you the tools to do it. And you just don't get that in many other shooters. You tend to be <clears throat> tend to be funneled into quite linear environments and even when you do get say an open sandbox environment it's there are still restrictions in place like crisis 2 promised to do certain things i don't think it's quite fulfilled uh, those promises um one thing i would say about the ai in halo is that it seems to have um a distance limiter so i tend to hang back a lot so certainly if you play on legendary you have to hang back you have to use long range long range weaponry there if I can get that out, and you have to just focus on headshots. I tend to find if you hang too far back and zoom in, the AI kind of doesn't kick in properly. So you'll have brutes just going back and forth, the same little zone, going through the same cycles, doing the same animations. And you can always kind of cheat your way through Halo, provided that you're not then funneled into a smaller environment in which they're going to be you know, doing something a bit more unpredictable. Mm. Uh, I, th- I found that was the same with ODST as well. Uh, in fact, pretty much every Halo, um, you've always got that distance where if you hang back far enough and you've still got the weaponry to take people on, you can kind of cheat the system. Um, but you know what? I don't care because I got that achievement saying I did it on my own. And ultimately, that's all you care about, really? That's all I care about. No, I, I wanted to play it because I always say every year I'm not a big Halo guy because I'm not into the multiplayer. And you know what? Every year I play the single player and I think, you know what? I totally am. I totally dig this. I really like that Bungie's just letting me play it how I want. Drop me in this environment. I can do whatever I want in there and it's real good fun. Because really, no other games let you do that. Hmm. And... Once again, I was playing Reach, and even though it was lacking, seriously lacking, in fact, at epic moments, there was no taking down the Scarab in Halo 3, for example. Um, it was still still good fun. Muted Halo is still better than most other shooters. Mm. So I'm really glad I went back. I'm really glad I finished it, in fact. Um, they went for a powerful ending. I mean, I think it came out so long ago, we can talk about the ending. Yeah. And not fear for spoilers. <clears throat> in the end, uh, it finishes basically with you giving Cortana over to the Pillar of Autumn to be loaded up with Master Chief. And then you're left on reach because you need to um, man a gun so that they can get away. And the final level after the credits roll, you're just on the planet, aliens coming in left, right and centre, and you have to fight until you're dead. And eventually you're going to take a few too too many bullets and you die. Uh, And that's how it ends. 
you die. Um, I don't think it was done quite as well as... Uh, do I want to spoil? As, uh, as, as another game that has a similar ending. Mm. I'll say that. Uh, there's a game that, that does something very, very similar. And I don't think Halo handled it, handled it as well as that game or as well as it should have done. But even so, it's pretty pretty powerful, having played with this guy for eight, nine, ten hours, mm. to just see him in this hopeless situation where even though you survived everything up until that point, you know that there's no way out. No matter how well you fight, no matter how smart you are, you're going to die. And that's that's pretty powerful. Now, this is probably slightly controversial, mm-hmm. certainly maybe sacrilege, bordering on sacrilege okay. to, to, to some listeners <clears throat> out there, but... Is the Halo story actually any good? I'm not. I'm not one hundred percent sure it is. It's just guys in green and purple suits fighting aliens. Everyone always says that it's one of the the best mythologies in gaming, and it is. Mm. You know, it's very, very deep. It's um, very, very detailed. There's lots of jumping in and jumping out points in this universe, so you could potentially spin off as many Halo games as you want and have really good background to to, to play out against. But whenever I've played a Halo game, I've never I've never really been massively taken in by the story. I I no. I, I find the 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 dialogues a bit clunky, <laughs> and the, the characters are. A little bit faceless, mm. uh, quite literally, in that they wear you know helmets a lot of the time, and that's not to to do down any of the technical achievements that that go on. Yeah. But um, uh, that's why I've always personally f- found it difficult to uh, to really get into Halo games in the same yeah. way as some people do, because I just can't. I find it very difficult to identify and buy into the universe. Well, I think I think the universe itself is top notch i mean like you say there are so many different jumping off points the world that was created you know they've, they've made an rts game they've made loads of fps games they could do whatever they want they're already doing books and films and whatnot in their toy range i think the world that they've created is great the actual story i think is serviceable um beyond that i mean for me the best halo story apart from the first one i think the first one was a good entry point i think it was a very tight story Two just jump the shark you know, mm. second game out then it's already got a terrible story it's just dragged it down to the depths i mean they were talking plants in that one and what the hell was going on i don't know looking back uh, i don't think many people re- could really make sense of it um personally i think odst had a yeah pretty decent story i mean yeah. you dropped in quite simple you're a drop shot trooper uh, there was a problem with the deployment unit your team was scattered you find like as you play through the game you find remnants of their firefights some of them made it some of them didn't um, and one thing I really liked about ODST was there was this series of audio logs you would collect as you go through the game that were uh, about this little girl who was lost in uh, New Mombasa, isn't it? Mm. Isn't that the city? Yeah. Um, and I was really drawn in by that, actually. I was really kind of rooting for this girl, hoping that she'd escape, hoping that everything would be fine with her. I think that was a clever um, way of telling a story within a story. And I think you know, I'll give my props to Bungie for that one. I think it was a pretty good job. With Reach, I think they wanted that to be their their real, you know, story-driven mm. game, and I think it falls totally flat uh, on two counts. One, that there is a, a decent story to tell in basically the Spartans' uh, last stand on Reach, knowing that they all die. It's like how they all fall one by one. Mm. Um, and 
unfortunately, I think it's not until the sixth or seventh level that that story actually starts to take effect. So you've got the first half of the game is just pure filler, story-wise. Not gameplay, but story-wise. And then when you finally do get an idea of what's going on, that you're taking this jump drive up to a Covenant ship so that you can destroy and blow out the sky and then how everyone starts to you know die around you. Once that kicks in, it's okay, but it's already too late by that point. You've lost most people. And those that are now invested know that there's about two levels before it's mm. all resolved. Um, the other thing that they uh, completely neglected was any type of real characterization. Mm. And and that's because they tried too hard. So they've got these characters. And for them, these were their new master chiefs. They're like, yeah, we've got this brilliant unit. We've got this woman who's got a robot arm, which I didn't actually notice it was a robot arm until over halfway through the game. So in one cutscene, I was just like, oh, she's... She's got a skinny arm. <laughs> oh, it's a robot arm. So you've got all these characters. I didn't know who they were. Like, it's all well and good, Bungie, like, fleshing them out, saying, oh, yeah, this is, you know, the fearless leader and whatnot, and we're going to have them talking nonstop throughout the game. But introduce them. Mm. They never really did. Mm. And I was just scrabbling around trying to find out who was what. I didn't care. I switched off. I did the same with Call of Duty. When Call of Duty was swapping between different characters, all over the world, Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2, Black Ops, you know, all of them, um, all of them post-World War 2, I think, I just switched off because I wasn't really interested in a big, long story about how Captain Price knew this other person 20 years ago. Mm. I just wanted to shoot some fools. Mm. That's and, a good quote, that. Maybe put and, it on your gravestone. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I'm not saying there isn't a place for story because, you know, people... Uh, know that I love my story-driven games and point and clicks and whatnot. There definitely is. I just think you need to tell it in a way that you're not going to lose yeah, I mean, the target audience. People who are playing Call of Duty and Halo, they don't go in there first and foremost thinking, right, I've got to soak in this story. From minute one, they just want to jump in and start the action. Or do they? I mean, with Call of Duty, yes. But that's why I bring out the story in Halo, because everyone's always so... I mean, there are people who are so invested in mm. that universe, you know, and for, and Halo, perhaps I don't know, maybe more than any other game on Xbox, has got a a, a world and a and a story and a mythology that mm. that people buy into and and is important to players and in, in, uh, more perhaps more so than than game, you know, any other games. Yeah. I, I don't know, it's, and and that's why I brought it up is because for me. I don't really, I don't really think it's that good. But I mean, I just, or it, I don't think the the story, individual storylines of the games are particularly good. Yeah. Again, I underline, I think the mythology is really interesting. But anyway, you know, yeah, it's I just, think, I think they've just got a problem. Some of their like individual, almost game and indeed level hooks aren't quite sharp enough. So you'll be in a level, and it's either like, yes, I master. Everyone knows who, who everyone knows who Master Chief is. And the story can be quite as simple as I'm Master Chief. I need to get to this wreckage to rescue this person. And that's your story mm. for the level. And that's fine. I can understand that. But in Reach, it took five levels before I fully knew who the Reach team was and what they were doing, other than just milling about killing different targets, as were told to you over the radio. I think that story failed because I wasn't like, yes, I'm this person. This is my goal and this is why. I couldn't say that until over halfway through the game. And so I think the story definitely failed from that point of view. So uh, another game that's got a sort of fairly reliant on storyline and and is 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 out fairly imminently is uh, is Elle Noire. Mm. 
which is um, which is a game we're pretty excited about in the Xbox World Office for for a number of reasons. I think one because um, you know well, I'm pretty excited about it. It's a detective thriller. Yeah. I'm very much into that kind of thing. But um, but but more so because I think that it's going to be. I, I just want to kind of know how it's how it's going to unfold and and how exactly it's going to work because. From the outset, the the danger with that game has been that it's uh, just going to be like an interactive movie, yeah. Um, because you know you are interviewing people, but you you're you know you were interviewing them only insofar as you're pressing buttons to kind mm. of push forward hunches and stuff based yeah. on how they look. So yeah, it's a kind of interesting one, isn't it? Uh, for me, I mean, I've played it now. I, I don't know if I can go into too many details about the, or certainly not the cases. Not that probably I've not the latest build of it. Um, but just in general, in general, like how it plays and stuff, that's fine. We've the videos are out there explaining this anyway. Now, uh, for me, La Noire is a new type of point and click. That is the closest genre I could compare it to. There's driving elements, there were shooting elements. Although I played two full cases, I didn't once draw out my gun. I had a bit of fisticuffs, there was a bit of uh, How was the punching. fighting in there? Uh... Fine, I mean... Um, I mean, felt... in, in, our, in, in the version I play, I thought the fighting was a bit... Mm-hmm. Really? I mean, it's quite simple. It was just punches, You there's a button to duck under like, if someone takes a swing at you, and then you could grab them, from which I think I could knee him in the face or something, something mm. along those lines. It was pretty similar to GTA's fighting, actually, but it felt a little bit... A little bit slower, but a little bit um, more polished as mm. well. Um, it, it's a simple mechanic, yeah, because uh, it's it's ultimately it's a small part of LA Noir. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there is driving around stuff, but f- it's mostly point and click. Um, what I would say is that LA Noir was a game that made me use my eyes and ears like no other title did. So I'd be in an environment and. Actually, case in point, I, I would need to find somebody. I've got an address for this person. I need to go find where he is. How do I do that? Well, there's no GPS on the car. This is set in, what, the 40s, 50s? So I've got a button there where I can ask my partner. So he's saying, so I press the button. He's like, it's the second left or it's the next right. So straight away, just navigating around the city, I found it really quite refreshing that I had to think about it. I had it wasn't a case of I had to go to the map every few seconds, but I had to you know, ask him for directions. And when I begin began to learn the city, I could actually find my way around on my own, as you would if you actually lived in LA. Pull up to this guy's place. I've got his name, but he lives. This is a big apartment block. Where does he live? So you look on the mailboxes. You have to find his name, find the flat number. Then you go in. You look at the sign, find out what floor that's on. You go up to the room. You look at all the doors until you find his door. In any other game, you would get to that apartment and there would be a breadcrumb trail or a waypoint on a mini-map that would take you straight to it. But in L.A. Noir, part of the game is just being a detective and being a detective mm. might be something as mundane as rifling through letters to find out where someone lives. And I found that really refreshing mm. to have to think about where I was going and what I was doing and who I was speaking to and how I was speaking to them. Like the tone you speak to people matters so in case in the case of an interrogation um you have a notebook and in that notebook is basically a list of every piece of evidence you've collected and important bits of information you've uh, you've gathered from other people and from the environments and from that it will formulate some questions to be used in an interrogation 
So you sit down, you talk to someone, and there may be four questions that you have to talk to them about. And you can only, you know, you, you'll pick one, then another. The order doesn't matter because they're all separate from each other. And then once you're done, the interrogation's over. Now, you ask them a question, you've got to look at how they react. And depending on how they react, you've got to either believe them, you've got to suggest that they're holding something back, or you've got to accuse them of outright lying. And it's one of those three. And you don't get any replay. You can't just ask the same question again and again you know, to judge mm. how they react. You've just got one shot at it. And it's a really nice system to try and eke out extra it information nice, about the yeah. case. And, and you can see why it's why they it's taking so long to develop because it's not that oh, yeah. side of, not not that side of the game that's taken a long time to develop it's the it's the the tech you know the, the yeah. facial animations because without those facial animations the game there wouldn't be a game no. i mean mass effect you've got a game that's okay it's an rpg there's lots of shooting and flying around but it's a game also driven by conversations and i remember a couple of years ago um when Mass Effect 2 was, was coming out, Bioware were really bigging up their facial yeah. animations. They were saying, this is just Cutting incredible. Yeah. You've never seen faces like this. Well, I'll tell you what, L.A. Noir makes Mass Effect looks like, look like child's play. Mm. It's just a joke. The difference between the two games is just huge. Uh, I mean, I think you know, it's going to be too late to get that tech into Mass Effect 3. But um, other studios need to sit up and take notice, and they need to copy this tech where it w- would be relevant. I don't really know if this facial animation would be that uh, that useful in a Call of Duty. In fact, I remember them saying in the last Call of Duty they had to t- they had to turn down the facial animations because it was becoming too graphic to see people react to getting their legs blown off and stuff. Right, that was like a legit <laughs> quote that came out from uh, from Treyarch. So you know where where it's relevant. Um, I think this tech needs to be adopted and as soon as possible because it genuinely is a game changer and. After seeing it in action, after seeing this tech in action, it's actually really hard to go back to other games and watch the same old bar 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 yeah. bar cutscenes. It's really isn't jarring. It? it is, you know. And um, I don't know what game we had in the office the other day. Maybe it was Operation Flashpoint we were having a look at, and it was very much like bar 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 bar. You know. Like and it. after after kind of seeing L.A. Noire, you are you. It's a whole. It's literally a whole different world. You know. I mean, I know that they underlined just how uh, how impressive this tech was you know quite a lot to us before we actually saw it in action but when i when i went to see it um before christmas it was like the thing that i above all else that yeah. i came away with that i remember saying to you guys wow you know this is like seriously impressive and uh and the whole game is built around that tech yeah, you know i mean every that. every little nuance of a person's face is there and it relies on great performance yeah uh, and you know they've got some really good actors in there doing some really good stuff, and you know they've they've got them not always responding to you verbally, but you know in fact quite often not responding to you verbally, but responding to you with the shift of the eyes or a movement in the mouth. It's all or, subtle. It's not yeah. like it's uh, you see a scowl on someone's face every time they tell a lie. There's That's nothing right. that telling no. you. The amount of times I was sitting there and I would have to think. It's like. There was something up with that person. But did they know? Like, I, I'm pretty sure I saw something, but I'm not 100%. Yeah. So I don't know if they were outright lying or maybe they're just really good liars. And I was starting to doubt myself. And I was thinking, you know, what? what is it? Are they, are they telling me fibs? And there were times where I was sitting there for a couple of minutes before I made my decision because I was really 
doubting myself and cut up about whether or not I get it right. For the record, I like to say the the second mission I played one hundred percent. First first journalist to get one hundred percent. What a surprise! What a surprise that Pellet's <laughs> telling everyone how great he every is. Every answer games. and every piece of evidence. But that's that is a good point to make actually about La Noire about the percentages in the scoring system. It's a game sort of driven by that because if you're a crap detective and you wade in to every interrogation blindly you ignore what how they react and you just say whatever you want you're probably going to get most things wrong in fact if you go in and get everything wrong every question and answer and you miss a load of evidence you still will finish cases you could be terrible at la noir and still come out at the end finishing the game because this is a game that's split into 30 minutes to two hour chunks I don't know exactly how many there are. There are, I would say, about 20 yeah, to 25. 20. There are five different um, fields. There's like traffic and vice and arson and homicide and whatnot. I think each one has about four or five cases. Um, and you're not going to get to the end of one and have the game tell you that you weren't a good enough detective. You've got to do it again. You're going to get to the end of one. You're going to get a score and you can move on to the next one or you can be told, or you can choose of your own accord to go back and perform better and get, you know, medals mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so you can be a, a terrible detective and come out at the end. Yeah, I mean, fine. that's that's one one thing they were, were quite keen to underline when I went to see it, was that this is like this, they're not making any barrier to no. entry. Um, I mean, there were two know, difficulties. So I think they give you more help in the interrogations. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's something, I, I think they turned down, obviously, the, the combat and stuff. And, and driving, in fact, you can... On the easier difficulty, this is how much Rockstar want to appeal to people who aren't gamers. Like for the driving around, you can set it on the easiest difficulty so that you're driven around by yeah. partners. Yeah. Like you can literally go from scene to scene just looking at places and that be your game if you want. Yeah. Because they want this to appeal much to so many more people than simply us. Mm. Um, I'm really encouraged though by the game. Not just because it's doing something different. I think in fact... A few people are going to pick it up, expecting a GTA and be horribly disappointed. Yeah, I mean that's one thing um, you, you you won't be going out of the police station going on a rampage. No, I, I I do like that it's that it lowers the barrier to entry so much. But if you want, you can still play it as mm. a gamer, like a game, yeah. and still be challenged. I I think that's a, a a good thing to have. We were talking last podcast about how Bayonetta has like a one button mode and then like an expert mode that mm. you know you've got to be crazy good to to play the game. And LA Noir's got a, a more subtle, more simple thing going on, but that's sort of sort of difficulty. Um and I know we keep talking about the facial tech and Rockstar keeps talking about the facial tech, but it really is the game. Mm. Like it, it hinges is. on that. It does. It absolutely hinges on it. And as I said just now, you know, without that tech there's no game. No. And that's not an over exaggeration. Um that is absolutely true because if you take the tech out, if you take those facial expressions out, you have you have no experience. I mean, you have no idea. I mean, the interrogations would just be the back to the old bah bah yeah. bah. I didn't do it, or I did do it, and it would have to be a a, a voice led interrogation yeah. rather than a an animation led in interrogation. The other thing I like about the the actual missions is how each one is like. Um, Sort of like a spider web. So rather than you've got you've got a starting point A and an ending point B, and normally you've got like the odd branch 
and at the end they'll converge but in LA Noir because you've got so many different things going on you've got interrogations that are either successful or not and if they're successful you'll get extra information to help you towards the end of the case and if you fail that path will be locked off for you forever you've got different environments you can go to at different time and evidence to collect there they've had to basically put in each location in each character three or four links to different parts of that one investigation mm. So no matter how good or bad you are, where you where you go first and second and whatnot, you'll always have a couple of options open to you. Yeah. So if you go to a location, you know, C and speak to person. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna ditch the letters entirely. This is gonna get. You go to location C and <laughs> go to go to person one and B. <laughs> yeah, let's ditch that entirely. But. Um, they've had to uh, put so many links in because you can go somewhere and pick up a, like a matchbook for a pub and that will be your one link to go to that pub and you'll find out that there's someone there who's really important to the case. Or you can be speaking to someone else at a different location entirely and they will tell you when you press them hard enough about that pub. Yeah. Every location has ties to other ones and it, the writing that they've had to come up with to tangle everything together... And yet still avoid you going to each location and hearing the same dialogue, finding yeah. the same evidence, all pointing you to one place. There's nothing that obvious. It all seems natural. And they managed to mask like all the repeat paths so well. Um, it's a seriously impressive game. I was reading today that... Uh, that um, I've forgotten his name. Aaron Statton, the guy okay. who's playing... Uh, Playing uh, Cole Phelps, the the the, the main dude in uh, in La Noire, was um, was uh, a team Bondi for five months doing these uh, doing this God. doing this stuff, you know, for the game. And you, if you consider like the the ads, probably the the length of I don't know, where they probably record a TV a twelve se- you know twelve yeah. twelve episode TV show in in four four months, you know. Yeah, so totally. it's it's it goes to show exactly how much dialogue how much performance goes into this and that's just one actor you know crazy lastly on uh la noir one of the things i quite like enjoyed about it when i was 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 i didn't actually get to play it before christmas it was just an eyes on but one thing i liked was spotting the actor yes you know there's a lot of there's a lot of uh there's no like massive names in there you're not gonna see jack nicholson no you're not gonna see nicholson turn up with al pacino but They've got like Walter from Fringe and Matthew from Heroes. That's and... right. Yeah, yeah. Matthew. Uh, Matthew from Heroes. Is no, it? not Matthew. It What's was, his name uh, in Heroes? Uh, He's also in Police. Alias. Policeman. What was he called? I thought it was Matt. That's his real name, isn't it? Is it? I don't, don't know. know. I, I I gave up on series after series one. Uh, it was a, a series two. I gave up after two episodes. Yeah. It was plain to see that it was absolute ass. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's nice to see those. And there's another guy as well who um, it will be a lot of the case. I think when you when you uh, play Alain White, it'll be a lot of the case where you're, oh, it's him. It's um, but you can't quite remember yeah. who it is, yeah, you know. Totally. And because uh, when I saw the guy from Fringe, I was like, oh, it's um, it's what's his face from <laughs> Lord of the Rings, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and it was yeah, it was a guy from Fringe. I, I haven't seen Fringe, so. Um, but I know he's in it. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so it's you know it's 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 fun. It's good. Now I'm looking forward to getting uh, getting my hands on it and having a go. Absolutely. I'm I, I'm slightly concerned by the fact that whole cases are held over for pre-order DLC. Um, certainly in the US, 
Hopefully we won't see it in the UK. Is that, is that for Xbox as well as PS3? Cause or is it PS3 only? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. Either way, someone might be missing out on something. And that you know that's really sad because a whole cage, you could be talking about two hours of game there, plus yeah. like another hour and a half if you want to replay it. Um, I think it'd be a real shame for Rockstar to shut out so much content for for players so i don't think they will i mean i think eventually all these things will make their way to dlc even if it's a format exclusive yeah as we thought as we saw with grand theft auto they'll always migrate over so i'm hoping that up to a year after launch everyone will have access to everything it's gonna have to be a case though that um that dlc that is not too important in the too, grand scheme yeah of too important in the grand scheme of things because the, the story although the cases are like individual storylines in alain noir there's an overarching yeah. story arc uh, involving something, yes. some, I guess, big conspiracy. I, I, you know, be willing to take a bet that there's probably some nefarious things going on yeah. in the police department. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, but, but yeah, so it obviously can't have too much of an impact. Yeah. So who knows? It may, you know, it may. It is obviously built alongside the game. Otherwise, they wouldn't offer it as a pre-order incentive. But, um, but you know, I doubt. I doubt whether it. In, would have much of an impact on the the storyline no. as a whole. No, they can't. Um, so from L.A. Noir to uh, the, I don't know what what where they actually fight, but the nether nether regions. <laughs> <laughs> they fight in the nether regions. From you're, L.A. You're to the nether, nether regions, realm. I am. Yeah, talking about the uh, what where nether world, nether realm. Is it well, nether realm studios is the developer. Oh right, okay. Is I it the nether realm? Anyway, more combat. Yes. It's actually pretty good. Bloody brilliant. Yeah, really good. Um, so in a way, it's a shame that Mike's not here because Mike is our fighting game expert. Um, but in a way, it's not really because it means that I get to say, yeah, I love Mortal Kombat <laughs> and not have it in the neck because it's nowhere near as good as Street Fighter, which is not. We, Mortal Kombat has never tried to be as good as Street no. Fighter or Guilty Gear or any of your, inverted commas, proper fighting games. Mortal Kombat's always been about silly, stupid gore-soaked fun and i think that has never been truer than this mortal combat yeah i mean it's <laughs> i'll be honest when they announced uh, mortal combat i was like who cares who cares <laughs> and i think i think maybe even publishers warner have been slightly surprised at mm-hmm. how, how good it is um i mean it's one of those games again that we're seeing increasingly more of, which uh, the publishers have taken an insane decision not to allow anyone to review it before the release date. So we can't slap a score on it in the magazine that's out before the game, which is um, frankly uh, uh, mental because yeah. it would be it would do really really well, you know. But when yeah, when it was first announced, I was like, Mortal Kombat, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But for me, Mortal Kombat is. It, you know, in its in its sort of old gory guys yeah. before they watered it down for DC Universe was was much more fun than Street Fighter. I've never been a big fighting fan, yeah. so I understand that technically uh, Street Fighter is a much 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 better uh, fighter than Mortal Kombat. For but for a casual guy like me, MK is is much more inviting, yeah. and this one takes the gore Absolutely. to a whole new level well, for me there are three things uh, that make this very a very very exciting game one is that they've um <clears throat> they've ditched the crappy 3d this is 2d such as street fighter 4 
and Street Fighter 2 and all your other favourite fighting games. There's no 3D crappy arenas where you're sidestepping around and it was all a bit awkward. I think N64 PlayStation slash GameCube days, Mortal Kombat got a bit confused. Mm. It lost itself for sure. Um, that's gone, 2D. Uh, the second one, um, as you say, gore. It's just... Gore means more, doesn't it? So, so bloody, so violent that we can't, it's to the point where we can't quite believe it's actually passed uncut. Uh, and three, um, it's actually a better fighter than yeah. Mortal Kombat's ever been. I think they've seriously tightened up the Mortal Kombat mechanics. Um, it, it's not good enough for tournament play, as they seem to suggest. I don't believe uh, when you go through f- frame by... I mean, fighting, com- fighting games, actual proper fighting fans who play in tournaments, they, uh, you know, they worry about frame per frame what the characters are doing. If you even watch the videos, you can see frame by frame characters are skipping all over the place. It's not tight enough to be a Street Fighter beater. But I think it's the combat system is flexible enough and fluid enough to be a good alternative. Mm. So something that you'll be happy sticking on when your mates around and playing for a few hours. I think it can be that and that's all it needs to be. Um, going back to the gore, I mean, oh, man, so you've got fatalities, which have always been gory, but they've never been gory than this. I mean, you have... Uh, what was what was Scorpions? It was something like he chops off their legs, then their Wasn't arms, that? then yeah. their head, and then when their head is falling down, he slices, cleaves it in two, and you see like the brain inside and the eyeballs, and like they've they've designed everyone from the inside out. So you've got all of their internal organs, all of their bones, you know their their muscles, their skin, and these layers can be torn off, and you know cut into certainly in the in the biggest moves. Um, you got you know pit fatalities, uh, arena fatalities. You can drop people in acid. You can throw them in front of subway trains. Going away from the fatalities, you've got something called an X-ray move, which even that on its own remove the fatalities. And I think Mortal Kombat will still never have been as violent as it is now. X-ray moves is where you save up like um, your power bar. At the bottom, you've got this like a super meter. And when that's full, you've got an X-ray move, and I think you pull the two triggers or something to to um, to kick off the X-ray move, and it goes slow into slow motion, and the camera zooms in, not just up for a, an up close shot, but it zooms in with an X-ray camera to show you what's happening to the internal organs of the person you're kicking, punching, headbutting, stabbing, whatever you're doing, and you see their their bones shatter, their skull smash, their kidneys explode. It's horrific. Mm. Brilliant. Horrifically brilliant. I mean, it is. It's so, like, you were, you, Hoodie, uh, Mike, Jem, John, and then I think we had three maybe guys from PSM and one or two from PC Gamer all came around the TV when uh, when we were playing. In fact, there was, there was, Mike and I were playing against each other and it was pretty even actually for once, which is very rare for a fighting game. I normally get pasted. Um, and you could just hear behind us when, when we were fighting just the oohs and the ahs and the mm. groans when every punch and kick hit home. And uh, when it came to the finish him screen, like you'd have, if Mike had won, you'd have me saying, I'll like, oh, get it right, get it right, get the finisher. You'd have, if I, if I won, like Mike, 
who you know is i we're both pretty bad losers usually in gaming but he he'll be like saying oh left left right yeah and then why we'd be helping each other out to get the fatalities yeah. because they are so good they are good even if you've lost to a perfect you will be happy because you will see something gloriously violent yeah and that's what Mortal Kombat does. Mortal Kombat brings people together. Street Fighter, it, everyone loves Street Fighter, but it can be a bit of a, a conversation killer. Yeah. Like There can be some bad feelings at the end of a, a lunchtime a Street Fighter because someone's going to walk away the loser. You know, probably me, to be honest. Um, it would be like, oh, that wasn't really that much fun. FIFA, someone loses, bad tempers. Mortal Kombat nobody loses everybody wins yeah because everyone sees what happens on screen who's the character who who punches the other guy's head clean off is that johnny cage i think johnny cage yeah johnny cage also has the the uh, groin punch he he does the splits and he punches them in the groin yeah uh, that's a good x-ray and and a good uh a good facial animation when you do that as well i don't even know if that's an x-ray move that might just be a standard move oh really yeah, I think... But don't you get an x-ray move where you see his balls shrink back into his oh, body? maybe you do. Maybe, yeah. Anyway, it's a but good one. It's, I mean, oh, just, it's wrong. And I, I actually am a little bit shocked that it has passed without... Um, oh, it's so over the uh, top and, like, uh, ridiculous, though. That's I, don't, I, I don't actually know why they bothered appealing to Australia. There was no way that game was ever getting a 15 in Australia. No. I think their appeal was just... I don't know, to get headlines. Yeah. Because that game is never going to be released over there. But uh, it's good. And it's not, we're not saying it's only good because it's gory. Like, we're not that shallow. It's a good fighting game as yeah. well. It's a lot of fun. They've also the got this, this this challenge tower thing. Yeah, that's kind of funky, actually. So you've got 300 levels of tutorials slash challenges, and you've got your test your might and test your skill. Uh, and you've got something called test your luck where you're <clears throat> you're dropped in an arena and then there's like a, a fruit slot machine um like hud that appears and as the slots roll by it would randomly pick an enemy and then a modifier and then another modifier so you could be fighting a game where the floor randomly you know shoots fireballs out and oh the bloods change colour so if you hit your opponent they won't bleed red they'll bleed rainbow colours and wait wait oh, I've got no arms. I've got a fight with no arms. Yeah. A certain amount of moves are locked off to me. And uh, you never know what you're going to get. It's just this random mix. So one time you could be fighting a game and the entire screen flipped upside down. So you're fighting on the you know the roof of your telly, the underside of the ceiling of the telly. Um, yeah, it's crazy. And it's a really good idea, actually, because it plays into the whole Mortal Kombat is silly, let's have some fun yeah. mentality, yeah. which is precisely what it needed to do. Yeah, And... Um, Hey, that challenge tower has had added more game than most other fighting games have. Normally, you get an exhibition mode, a, you know, a, a survival mode, and uh, a kind of tutorial, and that's about it. Mm. Yeah, a, a short story, perhaps. Mortal Kombat's got all of that plus this challenge tower. That's really cool. We alluded to it just now that um, about uh, not us not being able to get a, a, a review copy of, of Mortal Kombat in time. But I think it's worth just uh, maybe giving uh, <coughs> you, you guys out there a bit of a sense of of, of how that works. I mean, um, we obviously rely on we obviously rely on publishers to get us uh, get us code of the game uh, before release so that we can uh, review it. We always try and finish all games before slapping a score on them because we feel that's the best most representative uh, representative way of, of of scoring a game 
but increasingly we're finding that that, that publishers aren't sending us code and and Back in the old days, it used to be because the the game was was probably going to be a big bag mm. of shite, and they just want to, and they didn't want to, uh, they didn't want us to uh, review it. But but now we're finding it with with big games like, um, well, Portal Two is one. Portal Two, Bulletstorm was another one. Um, uh, Mortal Kombat will be another. Sorry. Call of Duty has been another. It's it's increasingly happening um, yeah. because publishers are uh, are worried. That they're going to get, uh, they're going to get bad scores, and and I mean you can understand that. I mean they invest a lot of of money in these games, and they don't want to get into a situation which I guess something like perhaps Homefront is finding at this moment. We we really liked Homefront a lot, not just because we covered with it. We covered with it because we liked it. We wanted to show the world how how good it was, and uh, and okay, yeah, the campaign's the campaign's short, but it's a good campaign, yeah. and the multiplayer is really good. I, th- I think that might be the problem, actually, the multiplayer, because I know for a fact that most people who got it didn't get an opportunity to sample the multiplayer, or rather they did, mm. uh, but there were issues in terms of their NAT connections and stuff that meant they couldn't sample it, and so they're just going by the single-player content, which is... Um, no, which is fair enough if you just want to review the single player. But as you see in the review, Homefront is a game that definitely depends on the multiplayer yeah, component uh, more than most. In the same way that Battlefield Bad Company 2 does. So if um, so, Battlefield Bad Company 2 last year was a game we reviewed, and if we just reviewed the single player, it would have got a good 30%, 40% probably yeah. less than it did. It ended up getting about 84 or so. Yeah. And that was almost entirely driven by the multiplayer, which is something we've proved to be right on. You know, yeah. It's one that, well, it is, we consider to be the best multiplayer out there. And Homefront's a sort of similar story, um, but not because the single player is not any good, just because it's quite short. Very short, yeah. Um, in fact, the single player is very good. Mm-hmm. I much, much preferred it to Call of Duty's, um, certainly Black Ops. Black Ops, yeah. Uh, I mean, Black Ops, I really didn't get on with the single player much at all. Um, the only time I really enjoyed it was when Rolling Stones was playing, mm. and that's because I love Rolling Stones. Uh, and having Rolling Stones playing while I played Black Ops was almost, but not quite, as good as me turning Black Ops on, off and just playing a Rolling Stones album yeah. in my home. Um, um, so, uh, so yeah, so Homefront is is, uh, is one that we would definitely recommend. Yeah, and and that, but that was my point really was that yesterday what we saw was that as as review scores. Uh, came out for Homefront, I mean, THQ had a massive stock drop. You know, their yeah. their, their stocks went That's right down. That's really Based on entirely on, on the some of the negative mm. review scores that were coming out. And I mean, you know, some people have scored it it, it fives. I, I don't really think there's any argument where you could give it a five. I really no. don't think that game is a five. I guess you could you could have an argument for for, for a six, maybe if you were being really harsh. Yeah. Um, sevens or eights, I think, is around about where where Homefront is. I mean, some people won't enjoy the campaign as much as us. Uh, we we felt it was a really it lasts four to five hours. It's a better campaign than Black Ops, uh, and Black Ops, you know, in some places, not in Xbox World, but in some places, was scoring ninety plus based mm-hmm. entirely on the fact that this campaign was not that good, but it was fine, and the multiplayer was good. And, and by that by those rules. Homefront Home beats better. it on both counts. Yeah. Beats it single player and multiplayer for sure. But you know, I mean, what it's a sort of long way of saying that you know what we might find with THQ next time round is that they don't 
send out review code because they don't want this kind of you know negative buzz pre-release. And it's a shame because games like Homefront, games like Mortal Kombat, because Mortal Kombat has been in the doldrums for a yeah. long time. Games like those, they need people to champion them. I think one other thing that I've certainly been told by publishers is that the reason why they won't send out review code early is because they're worried about it being pirated, which is absolutely mental. Um, because there's no connection between uh, review code, uh, certainly if it, it needs to be played on, on debug machines and um, being sent out, and actual pirate copies going on the web for people to download, because that always happens when they go to shops. Yeah. Or when promo... Retail. So when we say stuff isn't going to be sent out pre-launch for, uh, for reviews, we then have to wait for, um, for retail codes. So EA or whomever will get their retail copies of GameX, let's say Crisis, which they received today, and then they will post, <coughs> post that out to us. And we just review off regular Xbox code that everybody else mm. is going to play rather than the code that will run on our machines that can play pre-launch. Um, and that is where the piracy kicks in because when those copies are sent out, yeah. they're sent out to a lot of different people. That's right. And every time promo codes are sent out, the next day it's on the web to download. I don't know of any system where people can pirate um, early... Um, not early code because it's because games are always finished about two months before yeah. they go to the shops anyway. But se- when anyone can pirate code that is on debug, turn it to retail code, magically turn it into mm. retail code for it to be pirated for the masses. I, it doesn't happen, but unfortunately, in the higher ups' minds, it does. That's what, yeah, what we're like what the uh, we're like the uh, the pirates on the uh, sailing <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. the seas. Uh, the crazy thing is that a lot of the time when we get sent pre-release code, you know, it's finished code, but it's not the finished boxed code that you'll find down the mm. shops. When we get sent that, a lot of time it's fingerprinted to us anyway. Yeah. So if it gets if it gets you know, if it leaked. gets leaked or it gets pirated or whatever, you know we're, we're all over it like a rash. So yeah. why why would we ever want to do that? You know, we're not pirates anyway, but yeah. even if we were, why would we want to do that anyway? So, you know, I guess we're having a bit of a moan about it, but I just think it's not really that. It's more to the fact that, you know, some of these games deserve to be championed yeah. pre-release because what you're finding is that these games are going out. And, you know, I had a look at some of the chart track figures this <laughs> week for games, how much games are selling this week. And some big games of, uh, you know, big second tier games, yep. you know, which I would put games like Homefront and, and Mortal Kombat into because they're not your Batmans and they're not your Halos and your Gears of Wars, but they are those sort of big second tier games. They're not selling anything. No. They're not selling anything. And, you know, what's the, you know, it, it's a fine balance of publishers, I know, but if we could get behind games like that, if you could generate a bit of buzz for it, Surely that's going to help them sell a bit more. Well, this very neatly brings us on to one of our questions, in fact. Completely unplanned. But um, we've got a question here from Copite Al, uh, one of our regulars on our forum, who says, who decides which game gets the front cover treatment? A unanimous team decision? Does Tim choose it based on his cosplay fancy of the month? Or do you just follow orders from the evil corporate overlords? A good question, that. Gives you you a bit of insight into how he works. So... What generally happens is that we'll we try and plan as far in advance as we can. Now, obviously, we're in the business of selling issues. So what we always try to do as much as possible is have as big a games as we yeah. can get on, on the cover. Um, 
It's not always possible for a variety of different reasons, but that is what we'll try to do. And, And by we, I mean, I guess, me, but Matt and Mike also, you know, increasingly do... Do do that. I mean, Matt, for example. Um, I think every time we've had dead space on the cover. Yeah, it's yeah, I that's right. Went for it. Yeah, Matt, uh, Matt's very synonymous with dead space, so he organises a lot of our dead space coverage, and and so you know that's it's 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 very much a team decision. And I mean, I may come. I mean, Matt or Mike may come to me and say, "Well, there's this available," and I'll say. No, we're not doing that. Or no, that sounds quite interesting. And that's purely that's purely based on my, I, I guess, experience yeah. of doing magazines for a while. You know, kind of what sells and what doesn't. But you also tend to get quite a lot of surprises in this business as well. <laughs> so you don't always. It's not a hundred percent scientific. It's not a hundred percent foolproof. But you know, one of us will will speak to a, a publisher and we will find out that there's an opportunity to do a cover, and then we will discuss it we will have a discussion about it the our evil corporate overlords are not really involved with it in any way uh, they generally leave the decision about what we're putting on our cover up to us they'll make suggestions to maybe how it's packaged like yeah the bag, that's right yeah they'll the bag they'll, like, they'll come um, in with suggestions about about that but they won't generally dictate well they won't dictate to us what goes on the the, the cover unless they feel very very strongly that we're making a, uh, a massive commercial decision uh, that is a wrong one and i'd probably that would probably be the day that I, I resign when i make a massive commercial decision that is the wrong one because i'm that's, always that's when you put my horse and me three on exactly cover. you know i mean that's the only time really when when the suits would mm. will, will get involved so it's a very much a team decision we chat about it we know the market pretty well we know what sells and and what doesn't occasionally you know we'll take a risk on something um that that we're not sure how it's going to do because it lands at the right time because we've seen it in action and we want to champion it um and i guess home front is a is a little bit like that you know it's a game that i think people are aware of but perhaps they don't um know that much about or aren't haven't pre-ordered it or or what have you so you know we do to, we do like to take a punt on on new ip because we feel it's important to to champion these these games and uh, especially if we think they we won't champion a game we we know is going to yeah. be ass but we will if we see a game in development that we really like the look of we will we will try and champion it i think it. there are a few factors i mean if it was i mean first and foremost we're driven by editorial like what we want to write about what we want to talk about so we'd have um but if that was the only factor, we'd be going out every month with an Elder Scrolls cover, a Batman Arkham City cover, yeah. or a Gears of War cover, and there'd yeah. be nothing else. Um, I think one of the biggest issues is actually uh, timing, the, the mag on sale dates. Yeah. So what we have to do is we have to send out, at the start of the year and every few months, we have to send when our issues are out to various publishers just so they know. And in return, we uh, are told roughly when announcements are going to be made Game X is being revealed mid-May, for instance. Are we too early for it for the issue out in May? You know, do we fall before or after the embargo? And so sometimes um, covers are based upon simply how we fit into mm. PR plans, whether or not they're an option. It then becomes a case of, is this a game we'd like to put on the cover? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so, so, so dates, uh, dates play a big question. It's funny, actually, in terms of, in terms of Homefront, because that was a game that... Um, thankfully we did fall uh we did fall at the right time for but it's one that we actually went out ourselves every now and then there will be a game 
that we we've seen so much of and we're really confident of and that we really like the game that we'll go out and say we really want to stick this on the cover mm. um we want to do this it's not a case actually usually <coughs> of uh, of publishers going the other way normally you know we like to have stuff driven purely by editorial and say we want to write about your game can we stick it on the cover so we did for that and uh, a couple of other games recently as well because we've seen something in it that's really quite good and we need to tell you about it yeah i mean deus ex was was another one you know yeah, the month that's... before i mean deus ex it sounds weird probably to some people out there but in the in the wider market in the wider magazine market you know deus ex was a was a bit of a punt for us mm. really because it's been out of action really as a series for a long time and although it's had some good buzz no one's really covered it to any great extent yeah. certainly not in 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 terms of covers on the console side of things so we had no previous we had no real um uh, past you know history to go on about how it would do once it was out there on the shelves so we, we took a bit of a pun and it's done it's done really well for us and i think that you know that is when you're really happy that you've taken a pun on on some new new games because it is very easy to do gears and to do halo and stuff and and those are the things that sell but but it's nice occasionally to break out of that and do do something a bit different so i guess there's a long way of saying that it's it's a variety of different factors it's generally a team decision you know i I tend to um you know i chat to quite a few prs but uh up to publishers rather and uh and but matt and mike chat to a lot more these days just because of the nature of my job and uh but so i i guess i do tend to be the person who says no, that won't work, or no, there's no way we can't do that on the cover. That's why you're the editor. Uh, but but you know, it's 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 a good question, and hopefully that gives you a bit more insight into into what we do from day to day. Um, moving on with some some other questions, why not? Um, Deet, another good question. Good questions today. He asks, why do some game sequels get worse? Shouldn't they always be better? For example, Final Fantasy Thirteen compared to say Final Fantasy Nine or Halo Two compared to Halo Championship Edition. How is it going to get worse than the previous one? You mean uh, Halo Combat Evolved, maybe? Oh, we can't. Oh, I said Championship Edition, yeah. didn't I? I was just why thinking. Did I, which, why did I think that? I was thinking Combat Evolved. Wh- wh- which Halo was Championship Edition? I, I was know. playing. I was playing Pac-Man the other night. That's oh, probably right, why. Yeah. Um, I think that's a very good question. I think. Uh, I guess. I guess the first point to say is that it is. It, it, probably quite a sweeping statement in that it's not always no, the case it but i i do understand what what he or she is saying you know and i think that's a good like you say it's a good question i mean why do sequels get like worse metroid prime when prime 2 echoes came out yeah a lot of people felt it wasn't as good as the first one um i think when sequels come out it's always tough like they say the awkward you know the second album for music but films books you know everything mm. when you follow on from something especially if it's been received really well i think that's the worst thing yeah if you're following on from something that's held in such high regard how do you top it you need to keep everything that kept the that made the original popular you've got to protect that but you can't just go out with the same thing because people slam you for not yeah. trying anything different as soon as you try something different you're then moving away from what made the first one popular. So it's already you find a losing battle because you've got to, you know, go out one better, but by trying new things that may be unproven, yeah. that may, you, you might have to reinvent some stuff. So on a very basic level, it just, just depends on how good the first game was, I think. I think it's down to ambition versus realism. Mm. 
and what I mean by that is how much how much more can you add into the game in the time allotted to you and how ambitious is that stuff Batman I think Arkham City has got just about the right balance it's it's making a bigger it's giving you more of the same basically but it's just up in the ante a touch so that you feel like familiar with the world a world that was pretty fantastic the first time round a few things that weren't but pretty fantastic the first time round uh, and i think that they you know they they give what they've done with arkham city is they've said from the very beginning this is not a ground up reinvention yeah. we don't need to do that um so it's going to be a bigger you know bigger um play area more ambition in the sense that you can perhaps do more things and go more places, but not more ambition in that, yeah, we're building 90-foot skyscrapers and you can go onto every floor and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So they know their limitations, such as they are, and they're not going to go beyond that. And I think that's where where a good sequel uh, comes from. It comes from, from developers. Because which would you rather, Matt? Would you rather play a sequel which is shows masses of ambition yeah. but doesn't work or would you rather play a sequel that that re uh, reboots a lot of the stuff that is or rather uh traces a lot of the stuff that was in the first game yeah. but just adds in a couple more things well i mean obviously i want a game that works but i want an ambitious uh, you know ambitious game as well so you want somewhere sort of in between obviously i'd lean to the second one if the first one doesn't work at all uh i think time you, you hit on an important factor there when you mentioned time because a lot of it depends on how long people have got i mean mm. we're seeing with skyrim elder scrolls 5 they've been working on this years and that's what you want mm. call of duty they churned out a new one every 12 months okay you've got two different teams so in actual fact you've got 24 months but if you're forced to come out with a sequel soon i mean dragon age 2 didn't take that long really when you think about the turnaround time then you start to find the sequels that perhaps don't perform as well as you might expect, yeah. that perhaps fall down when compared with the original. Um, lastly, maybe it's worth mentioning that sometimes all these so-called poor sequels are actually better games, and we're just remembering the originals wrongly. Yeah, Like, it's so easy, especially if you've got a, yearly up, a game with yearly updates. Um, Smackdown World, for instance. Um it's so easy to look at SmackDown and say, this hasn't come on. It's not really come on at all. If you then go back, take the time to go back and play the previous one or one from two years ago, I'll tell you what, memory clouds over a lot because I played uh, SmackDown 2009 a couple of months ago to mop up some achievements. In two years, that game has completely changed and almost all for the better. Mm. Like, and it, when, as soon as you add like 2010 in there in the middle, they just seem like tiny improvements. But you, you know, stick them side by yeah. side. Play the first one after playing the second one, and you realise that you remember things wrong. Um, like Metal Gears, I mean, the first one I think is a great, great game. But play it against Metal Gear Three, you play it the other way round, and you think, oh, it really doesn't hold up. Mm. And if just imagine if you flip the releases, if you ever flip a sequel's release with the original, and the sequel would come out first, and the first one would, you know, come out second, <laughs> obviously. Most times, you'll be saying exactly the same thing. The sequel isn't as good as the original. Part of that might be, I don't know, if it's a story-driven game, an adventure, maybe the original, you hold it dear to your heart, like this tale, the characters, whatever, that can't, you know, in some cases be replicated in the sequel. 
I don't know, but in many cases, I think we are very quick to leap on a sequel and say this hasn't come on. When in actual fact, they often do. Um, finally, one last thing: maybe when uh, when developers do make sequels, completely going back on what I just said, sometimes they are worse. They just see what the competition is doing and try to copy it, perhaps too much, mm. and, and dilute what they had in the first place that made the original so good. Like obviously, now every shoot is trying to be Call of Duty. Um, whereas before that simply wasn't the case. And you're seeing like Operation Flashpoint, for instance, is really trying to put Call of Duty elements into this tactical long-range battle shooter that does not work Mm -hmm. as a Call of Duty game. And here you're seeing a a series that's gone from being one thing to the complete opposite now. And you can definitely say, yeah, it's perhaps going downhill. Mm -hmm. So, So yeah, a variety of reasons, but I think every single series has to be looked at individually there's you know it's so easy to make generalizations but uh yeah final question why not andy Silve, has anything changed in the office now that tim is a famous author <laughs> a famous author we went, we went to true, um, we went to the pub on monday because it was hoodie's birthday hoodie uh turned a bigger number than he was the day before. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we went to the pub. And on the way up, because we went for a pie, we didn't go for just a drink, we went for a lunchtime pie uh, where Tim uh, Tim and I once again had lamb pie. We did. And uh, you didn't you didn't insult me this time. You no. weren't barring at me. No, it was um, a strong pie, though. But on the way up the stairs, didn't you see a poster for yourself? I, I did, yeah. There was a, there was a poster for, for my book up there. I don't, I don't know who put it there. I, I don't know... Had someone drawn the old Hitler tash on you? And stuff? No, it wasn't a picture of me on there, oh, fortunately. Okay. So there was, there was, it was just the book cover. But it was, um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure someone would have drawn a Hitler tash on there <laughs> if they'd had the chance. Well, I've got many enemies, Matt. I always carry a pen on me, Tim. Exactly. You can trust me to do for, it for, for just that reason. Uh, no, nothing's really changed in the office. I'd say it's pretty much the same as it's it's always been. Um, you know, I don't try and uh, and lord it over the uh, the plebs too much. Uh, they, they, you know, they do my bidding and, uh, <laughs> you thought he'd get some respect, but oh, <laughs> oh no, 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 what a mistake that was. So, so no, I don't think anything's changed matters. it. No, you get the odd person coming down to get you to sign a copy, but I do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's quite nice. It makes you feel famous for about two seconds. Mm. But, uh, but, but yeah, it was weird. I was saying to my, my, my mum and dad, we had, um, we had a launch, a launch for it in, in Bath a few, uh, what was it about a month ago now, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I was saying to my mum, it's a weird sort of night because it, it, you know, it sort of makes you feel what it must be like to be a celebrity for about half an hour, you know, and you're like, <laughs> oh, this is quite fun. Yeah. And then it's back to reality the next day. But um, but no, I, I don't think anything's changed too much. There you go. So um, that's the podcast this week. A little bit shorter than usual, um, uh, only because we, we wanted to get one in this week for you because we'd obviously missed out. Uh, the, the last podcast took three weeks to appear, but generally because we all got ill. Very ill. Um, so we wanted to give you an extra little treat this week. So we just recorded a quick one. Mike's not here. He's in, he's in Canada. Um, Can you say what he's seeing? Is that a secret? It's not a secret, is it? I is it? don't know, really. I um, guess we can't. I suppose we could. Can we say he's gone to Edmonton? Yeah, he's gone to Edmonton. Work out, work out from that what you what you want, um, and uh, and yeah. So we thought we'd do a little cheeky little podcast for you this week to say thanks for uh, thanks for putting up with our illness and the fact that we didn't update as often as we'd like. And we hope you've enjoyed this one. Uh, do uh, Twitter us, do Facebook us, do uh, forum us, do email us. 
Uh, we love to hear from you. We like to hear your thoughts on stuff. We always try and uh, respond as much as we can on Twitter and Facebook. And, of course, um, we, we, we love to hear your suggestions for the mag, things you'd like to see different um, and, and all that kind of thing. So thanks again for listening and have a great weekend. Yeah.